0: We're going to hear God's Word, and we're reading, first of all, from Psalm 100, Old 100. So let's hear God's Word from Psalm 100 and from the first verse. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. And then from the New Testament, reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians, and reading from the first verse, and then later on from a a little later in the chapter. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. But you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And from verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive. The Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen, and thanks be to God for his word. And all the people said, you know, we can be responsive now. It's great, isn't it? We don't need to sit there. We can actually join in worship together and call out. So you can call out amen or hallelujah or get on with it or whatever else comes to you. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we come to your word today and we spend time just meditating on the meaning of it and rejoicing in Jesus, we ask your spirit would move us. Fill us and renew us. Amen. You know, it's been a long time since we've been able to sing together. 18 months nearly. It's a huge amount of time. Now, I'm I'm very grateful, and we're all very grateful to those that have led our worship in music through that time. There are so many of them. Uh, I actually started writing their names down to thank them all this morning, but I'm not going to do that because I'm going to miss somebody, haven't I, Eric? But so many folk that have sung here in the churches we've been gathered or have filmed clips in their bedrooms and their their, their lounges and sent them in, and we've used them on the YouTube channel when we couldn't have services, and and through all, Eric's been coordinating for us. It's been fantastic. I'm also grateful to many performers that we've used when we've met at other times and we've used clips from YouTube of of great choirs and, uh, uh, and all sorts of things that we have used in our worship. But it's really good to be able to sing together as God's people. As good as all the performers that have led our worship have been. Just to be able to lift our voices to God. It's not really a surprise because actually scripture tells us that singing is a command. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs, says the psalmist. And we could go on and on if we know our psalms. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord of the earth. Psalm 98, sing to the Lord for he has done wonderful things. Isaiah 42, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises. To the ends of the earth or revelation, and they sang a song, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and praise. The whole scripture sings. And that means that worship, ultimately for us, is not a show or a performance. It's not something that a, uh, that a musician or even a minister does that we come and we are moved by. It's an invitation to participate in the very praise of the whole of creation itself. The heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord, says Psalm 19. And the angels in Revelation saying, holy, 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 glory and honor be to him. Wonderful words. There's Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And there's the songs of revelation. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And again, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You know, that song of creation, that song of the angels of heaven is what we join in when we sing badly even in our local parish church. And that is a huge privilege. Remember what Jesus said when the children were singing Hosanna... And the authorities came and said, tell them to shut up. He said, well, you can tell them to shut up if you like, but if you tell them to be quiet, then very stones of creation. will sing their praise to God for what he's doing in his Messiah. Well, along came our government and told us for, for good reasons that we couldn't sing. It's amazing that we managed. <laughs> because the song of praise wells up within us because of what God has done. It is echoed in creation and it is sung by the angels. Glory, glory, glory to you, O Lord. That's why we found it so hard not to sing. Not just because we enjoy singing in the way that if you couldn't go bowling you were frustrated you couldn't do that or if you couldn't do uh, see people that was frustrating, but because there's something in the essence of the Christian person that says we are made to sing the praises of our Lord and King. And actually, I just want to give you a bit of history today. Congregational singing is at the root of our Christian tradition and particularly at the root of our Protestant Reformed tradition that we stand in as the Church of Scotland. In medieval times before the Reformation, the church had got into the way of worship being professionalised. You came along and the monks chanted or, or, or the preacher was doing the Latin bits and pieces. And basically the congregation in many places had become an audience. Just like going to the opera, you you sort of watch it, but you don't necessarily understand it. And Well, if you go to an opera, I don't, but you know what I mean, or the theater or whatever else it is. And one of the things the great reformers did from the beginning was, well, two things. One was to say, we need the word of God preached, and we need the word of God in people's hands, so that they can read it in their homes. But they also said that when we come to worship, the primary focus should be the congregation singing singing the praises of God so that we participated in worship and we didn't just watch it. It's why actually sitting watching a YouTube video can never quite be the same as God's people together saying there are men and the praise in worship. Martin Luther when he reformed the church back at the Reformation took Psalm 46 and wrote himself a paraphrase of it that the people could sing. We know it as a mighty fortress is our God. A Bulwark Never Failing. It's maybe not the easiest of songs to sing 500 years later, but sometimes we, we, we do um, sing that song. And the interesting thing about Luther was he wrote it in order that the congregation could sing it. Now, that particular tune that we might know that to, he wrote himself, but many of the other songs that he taught in the congregation, he took the tunes that they knew from the taverns and used them. We sometimes think, oh, we shouldn't use tunes that we've come from somewhere else. But that's what Luther did. Because he wanted people to find it easy to sing and accessible to it. And that was really important for him. And that tradition of singing, and particularly of singing the Psalms, comes into the Calvinist reformed tradition that we sit in. Calvin Calvin from the beginning had a psalter, the Geneva Psalter. And when John Knox came and the Church of Scotland was reformed, in came the psalters too. The first, one of the first Psalms that was translated into English was in 1594 and we know it as all people that on earth do dwell, it was actually translated in England but by a guy that was born in Scotland so I'm claiming them, often sung unaccompanied. In fact let's just stop shall we and sing the first verse of that unaccompanied just because we can. Eric's going to give us a note because we're not quite as good as they were in those days. Or a bar. Shall we just sing the first verse of this together? You can stand if you wish. and that was what our reformed forebathers were doing the scots definitely added to those translations that were already happening in other countries into english in 15 in 1650 one of the most famous translations when the metrical psalm 23 that we know today was penned all those years ago in 1650 although interestingly we sing it now famously to crimond that's the tune you'll know the lord's my shepherd it was not written for another 220 years so the metrical psalm was sung for the first 220 years to a different tune until somebody wrote Crimin um, in the Victorian times. And Psalms in metric but also paraphrased into more loose ways into what we would now call hymns. Isaac Watts in 1708 penning a version of Psalm 98, "O God our help in ages past the great song and the tradition continues of taking the psalms and either using them literally like the metrical psalms or being more creative with them to get the meaning across right up to modern times and that famously stuart Townend, pen- penning together the words of the lord's my shepherd i'll not want let's sing, sing a verse of that shall we So that great song or psalm singing tradition that still breaks out in modern psalms today but the it wasn't of course just the psalms some of our, our fellow churches in scotland i think the free church only in the last decade or so decided it would allow hymns as well as psalms but most of the rest of the church has been using hymns for a long time perhaps famously in the 18th century it was charles wesley who began to say, we don't just need to sing psalms, we can also sing spiritual songs. And he used his great writing of many songs to get across to people, not just words to sing, but actually the great truths. And one of the things you will find in Wesley's songs is an awful lot of theology and Christian teaching. And can it be that I should gain, lo, he comes with clouds descending, love divine, love's excelling. And of course, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, we could go on and on and on with those great Wesley songs. New songs have continually came to come to the church. I'll bet you when Wesley started songs started coming round churches the first time folks said, Can they not sing songs we know? (laughs) New songs have kept coming, and particularly in times when the church has been renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so it was Moody and Sankey when they were doing their missions that began to write new songs that changed the nature of singing. We know from ourselves that many songs were popularized by the Billy Graham crusades. Mission praise that we we used in churches for a long time came out of Mission Scotland and the Billy Graham visits. Pentecostal and charismatic renewals of the church have enriched us with new tunes from all parts of the world and all over the place. But the one key theme in all of it has been this that the primary way that we sing is the congregation singing. Yes, there is a place for other things, as we found with solos and choirs and all these things, but the basic thing was the congregation singing. In fact, it's interesting that actually when, when choirs started in the Church of Scotland, and choirs, by the way, in the history of the Church of Scotland, are a modern innovation. They came with a lot of suspicion. I was reading the history of one church that I was in for a while and it had been there for a while and they sang their psalms and somebody said, some of the youngsters said, we want a change, we want to start a choir. And the minister said, no, we're not having that. We've never had that before in this place. That's not our tradition. It's a little bit Anglican for us Presbyterians. And so the young folk who had met together to learn some songs together started all sitting in the front pew and moving further and further forward until eventually they got let up to the the beginning it's amazing that the things that we think have always been part of our tradition we find they're actually new i i I was struck reading a church when we put all screens in churches and took pews out people felt oh gosh that's a huge change but think about it in victorian times after centuries of worship in medieval churches people wanted to put in these things what an upset that was um, when that change happened. But also, well, anyway, the point I'm making is that very basic to whatever we do, whatever we use in other forms of worship, whether it's solos or choirs or everything, the basic form of our worship is congregational singing. And that is for, not for musical reasons, but it is for reasons of the people of God singing together. And that means, see if you can't sing, it doesn't matter. In fact, I love the fact that one of the paraphrases of Psalm 100 that we're started with this morning is make a joyful noise unto the Lord of the earth. The important bit is the joyful. If it's an awful noise out of key because you're tone deaf, it doesn't matter if you're praising God and you're singing together. Yes, there's a place for professional excellence and I'm not knocking that at all. But the most important thing is the people of God singing. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? Well, we sing because we're worshiping our God. We sing to the glory of God. We sing because we are image bearers, made in his image to reflect his glory and his goodness into the world. And that is why we sing. The, the old um, catechism said, man's chief end is to glorify God. And by the way, enjoy him forever. You know that, that's sand. That's, um, serve him with mirth, as the old bit, his praise forth, tell us. Sometimes Presbyterians think it says, serve him with dearth. But it's with mirth, with joy to the Lord. And that is why we sing all those songs that just say how great God is, how great thou art. To God be the glory, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, immortal, invisible, God only wise. My God is a great big God. All these things sing the same thing. We are here to glorify the Lord it's addressed to God and that's really important as we sing in churches to remember that we're worshiping God because see if we forget God and we just concentrate on the songs and and the fact we love to sing then we very quickly find that singing becomes very selfish I want to sing the songs that I like and before you think I'm having a go at one group of people you know I want I want to sing the modern songs that I like. And we're all saying what I want. Very quickly, our worship becomes me and my enjoyment and my memories and what I want. And worship needs to serve me. And it's as if we're coming and saying as we worship this morning, bring your offering to me and may it be pleasant in my eyes and bring pleasure to me and glorify me. And of course, that's not the point of worship, is it? It's to glorify the lord remind ourselves who he is and what he's about and you see when we all concentrate on what we like we end up falling out but when we all look to the lord together all our divisions melt away because we're looking in the same direction together whether the song is something that we love or something that we hate musically it doesn't matter we are praising the lord who takes delight in our unity we have to be very careful here. I'm always struck by these verses from Amos 5. Where God says away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. And the Lord is saying to a worshipping community. I don't want to hear your worship because it's not pleasing me. And in Amos' day it's because it was a people who lived with injustices. And they went and praised God. And sometimes in churches, it's because we've come in with that selfish heart of what I need and what I want to sing and what I want to have. And God doesn't want that. He wants to hear his people singing in unison, in harmony. And I don't mean musically so, but in that sense that we are praising God together. And I delight in the fact that someone else loves the music of this song, even if it's not my taste. That's so, so important. It's interesting in Colossians when it talks about psalms and hymns and songs of the spirit. Three types of songs there. It does it in the context of the message of Christ dwelling in you richly. And not just in you individually but as you teach and admonish one another. The whole idea is it's a people who are building one another up as they sing. They're becoming a people together as they sing. They're looking out for each other as they sing praise to God. And that is what God wants. That as we worship, we flourish. And yes, we enjoy it as well. We come before the Lord not with dearth, but with mirth, with joy. Have you ever thought though, why does God want us to sing of his glory? Is it because, well, actually he's got a fragile ego and he's buttered up and told how wonderful he is all the time because otherwise he's got an inferiority complex like we are? It can't be that, can it? It can't be that God needs to be told how wonderful he is. He can't be that God is insecure. No, it's not that at all. It's rather that as all creation speaks of how wonderful our God is, how majestic our God is, God delights in it because we are speaking truth. We are reminding ourselves of the reality that is around us. I'm always struck by the the next part of this bit where it says, Know that the Lord thy God is good. Know it. Now, we might say intellectually we know all these things about God, but see, when we begin to sing these words of truth, that's why Wesley put the great theology in his hymns, that we begin to remind ourselves, reorientate ourselves to what reality is, not what we experience in the day to day and the worldly, but when we focus on what is true, what is important, the reality of the universe, God is in control no matter what it seems that day god is the most important thing and we remember who he is and who we are and informs our whole being know that the lord our god is good he made us and we are his reminding us who we are we are created and we are dependent on him like sheep and he has made us his own his covenant promised people we are his nothing can take that away I am completely secure, no matter what is happening. That's why Paul can say, be thankful in every circumstance. Not because everything is good, but because the Christian knows the deeper reality. That I am loved and I am held and I am forgiven and I am reborn in Jesus Christ and nothing ever can take that away from me. Do you know that the Bible spends less time telling us how we should behave And more times telling us who we are. Who we are. And when we praise God, many of our hymns remind us of that. In the verses we read in Colossians, it said, oh, but that's why that's not working, it's dropped. (laughs) Therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. There it is again. Remember who you are. You are God's people. You're holy and dearly loved. And you might say, I've had a bad day and I'm feeling rubbish and I I can't do anything and I I haven't got a job now and and, and I don't know what my part is in life. And you might be saying, I'm failing as a Christian, I'm sinning all the time, I I, I, I feel completely inadequate. The scripture comes and says, you are God's people, you're holy and dearly loved. Do not call worthless what Jesus Christ said is worth dying for. You are not worthless. And that is part of why God delights when we were worshipping him. Because we're telling the stories of what he has done. And Israel kept telling the story of what God had done, how he'd brought them out of Egypt. It wasn't just that they wanted a history lesson of looking back. It was that they remembered that's how much God loved them and how much he was committed to them. Therefore, they could go on. They could go on. The Bible keeps telling us who we are. It picks up the beginning of Colossians, we read, since you have been raised with Christ, since he rose from the dead, and uh, and when he did that, there was a promise that you would rise from the dead, and you were given new life in him. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above. And in worship, we do that. Our minds, our hearts, our emotions, our brains are brought round to the great truths that we are singing as we worship the living God. We remember who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. Creation's voice proclaims it. Jesus, the name above all names. Beautiful Savior as we sing. And we remember that he came. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Born in the little town of Bethlehem. We remember that he died on a green hill far away for our sins. We remember the man of sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We remember that he has risen. He is risen. We remember to see what a morning glorious day where that happened in Jerusalem. We remember he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. All of these truths. And we know it's for us. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. In Christ alone, my hope is found. And we know that he intercedes for me when I'm failing. Before the throne of God above, I have I've forgotten the words. There we have it. Yeah. And we remember that he will return someday and the earth will be healed soon and very soon I'm going to see the king and at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And that is the total assurance that is given in scripture and is given because it's not about us, it's about him and his glory who sent his son who died for me that gave me a blessed assurance for Jesus' might. That is what we are doing when we sing, reassuring ourselves, remembering who God is, and energizing us to live for him in this world, to transform it in his glory. There are some of us here who have been in church a long time and coming, and you really need to hear that again and again, because you're often thinking you're worthless. You're often thinking that you have failed. You've often said, I'm trying to be a Christian. And as we sing, we remember the gospel truths that this isn't about me or what I deserve or what I have earned or what I have achieved. It is about him and his amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. And so, all of these things are what we come when we worship. When we don't look at what we do, but we look to Jesus and say, And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died He for me that caused His pain? All of that we come to. We sing the joy of our Savior. And wherever we are with him, we need to be kept remembering, don't we? Tell me the old, old story. For I forget so soon, the early dew of morning has passed away at noon. And so, as we come as Christians, we have a reason to sing. A command that we sing. It's our future to sing God's praises and to live them out in our lives. And we have a need to sing. For it reorientates us and reminds us in sometimes ways that we cannot get into our hearts other than when they come through our emotions and our outpouring. Sing to joy to the Lord. Oh, what a Savior. The Psalm 100 ends with those words after know that the Lord, our God, is good. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all the generations. Amen.